from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, welcome, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in for this Monday edition of Washington Watch. Well, coming up today marks the 51st anniversary of the infamous Roe v. Wade decision. Now, that decision eliminated all law, all laws across the entire nation protecting the unborn. It legalized abortion through all nine months of pregnancy for the entire country. Now, in the wake of the Supreme Court decision in the Dobbs case, putting abortion policy back into the hands of lawmakers, the Biden administration and the Democratic Party are making clear they plan to lean into this debate and seek to make abortion till birth the law for the entire country. Congress must codify Roe v. Wade for all the states in America. Stop playing politics of the women's lives and freedom. Let doctors do their job. That, of course, was President Joe Biden. Let doctors do their jobs? I thought doctors were supposed to heal and save lives, not take them. Despite the hesitancy of some Republicans to speak up on the topic of life, there are many, many leaders who are standing up in defense of the unborn. We're going to talk with North Carolina, Cong- uh, North Carolina Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, who is one of them. Another voice for the unborn is Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn. She will uh, also join us to discuss the Woman's Right to Know Act that she has introduced. House members are in their districts this week, but the Senate is in Washington. And the focus will once again be on the Senate and the chaos at the southern border. This is a crisis. Whether Washington Democrats are willing to call it one or not. The American people recognize what CBP and ICE are up against, even if their commander-in-chief does not. That was Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell earlier today on the Senate floor. We're going to talk about the issue of the southern border. I am sure you have heard this news, but Florida Governor Ron DeSantis dropped his bid for president yesterday and announced his support for former President Donald Trump. And this is why. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. He has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear. I agree. The Republicans cannot go back to spineless leadership, which dominated the party for far too long. We'll be tracking that as that develops. Also, the latest outrage uncovered by the House Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. The DOJ said parents were terrorists. The FBI said pro-life Catholics are extremists. And now we see big government working with big banks, profiling America's purchasing uh, uh, choices and surveilling them in those, in those transactions. That is all frightening stuff. That was Congressman Jim Jordan, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, on the Mike Huckabee Show over the weekend. We'll get more details on this from Missouri Congressman Blaine Lutkemeyer, a former banker and now member of the House Financial Services Committee. And this week's WHO warning. 2023 was a reminder of why the work we do is so important and why the world needs a strong, sustainable effective, efficient, and empowered WHO. 2024 will be a defining year for global health and for our WHO. 
Yes, it will. It'll be a defining year for globalization and the World Health Organization, which is at the tip of the spear. That was Dr. Tedros Ghebreyesus, Director General of the UN's World Health Organization, earlier today at the opening of the WHO Executive Board meeting. Now, we're going to take a look at what they're doing this week. Every week, every week, the WHO is up to something. I mean, they are at the tip of the globalization spear. And they are assembling the forces of the left's ideological army. FRC's Travis Weber joins me later with this week's effort by the World Health Organization to undermine your values. The website's TonyPerkins.com. If you uh, happen to miss anything or you want to share it with someone else, TonyPerkins.com. Our word for today comes from Job chapter 1. And his sons, that is Job's sons, would go and feast in their houses each on his appointed day and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly." Even though Job's children were grown, he still was the spiritual leader of his family. Now, today, many are critical of this type of familial leadership because it's a part of a patriarchal society where men led. True, but Jesus changed that element in the New Testament, elevating the role of women in society, but he did not eliminate the need for spiritual leadership in the home. So, men, lead your families in following the Lord. For more on our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. Well, after a busy weekend of discussion, senators negotiating a border security agreement could, and I emphasize could because we've been talking about this for a few weeks, could release the long-awaited text of the proposed legislation that would address the supplemental spending for Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, and have border protection issues in it. Now, one key to any agreement remains finding consensus on the changes to the current parole and asylum policies, which currently allows thousands of migrants to come into the country and stay for years. So what should a border security agreement look like? And would such an agreement be possible? Joining me now to discuss this, Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee. She serves on four Senate committees, including the Senate Finance Committee and the Senate Judiciary Committee. Senator, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you as always. As, and it's always so good to be with you. Thank you, Tony. So let's start with the border. This week we may, may see text of a bill resulting from the negotiations there in the Senate. What are you anticipating? I think it's important before we talk about the bill to talk about this process. And back in May, the House sent H.R. 2, their border bill, over to the Senate. And the Senate Judiciary Committee has held 80 hearings and meetings since that time. We have never once had any kind of focus on H.R. 2. And we should be taking this through the committee process, but instead what Schumer is trying to do is to go against regular order in the Senate, pull together a working group, then have them present language, and then a couple of days later 
take that language, that text of a bill to the floor and call a vote. And what we are saying is, no, that's not going to happen. I've been very clear. I will not vote for anything that makes illegal immigration legal. And this administration is working overtime trying to find ways to make illegal immigration legal. They've done it with an app. They've done it with special privileges. And now it appears from what we're hearing that they are trying to put in text the ability to give work permits, to give special conditions for people that are entering the country illegally. And you know, Tony, there's one thing to keep in mind. My mother would always say two wrongs never make a right. And we need to remember that as we look at this issue of illegal immigration. Uh, Senator, thanks for pointing that out, because the House sent over HB2, as you said, seven months ago, and it's been languishing in the Senate. Um, Why? Why? Because we've seen this before with the the what I call the scare leader there in the Senate, Chuck Schumer, refusing to allow the process to run its course, allowing hearings uh, and and allowing these measures to move their way through the committee. Instead, instead he short circuits it and sends his legislation to the floor. That's right. And that is not the way this process should work. The House passed a bill and sent it to us. It is sitting in Judiciary Committee waiting for us to take it up. We have never called the bill up. That's because Dick Durbin, a Democrat from Illinois who chairs the Judiciary Committee, does not want to call it up. So let's uh, let's focus. We should be on H.R. 2. We should have been right. on H.R. 2 months ago and having a fulsome discussion about how we secure the southern border. Of course, those of us who are conservatives say, let's start with enforcing existing law. Right. Let's also listen to the Border Patrol, who has told us for 30 years now that they need a physical barrier, they need better technology where they cannot have a barrier, and they need more officers and agents. And of course, do we need to reform asylum laws and parole? Absolutely, we do. But we also need those other security components, and here's the reason why. This open border policy of Biden has turned every town into a border town, every state into a border state. And you can talk to any sheriff or police chief in this country, and they they will tell you they cannot address crime, gangs, drug trafficking, sex trafficking, human trafficking until the border is secure because the border impacts everything that they are doing on the ground every single day. In addition to that, um, the, the threats that are coming across the border, the, the as you pointed out, every state has become a border state. But it's even worse than that. M- resources that should be going to Americans, such as veterans, is being diverted to provide health care for those who are coming into this country illegally. That's correct. 
And as we were doing some work on Veterans Affairs, I'm on the Veterans Affairs Committee, what came to light was that the VA has been spending money for the last couple of years on referrals to community health care for veterans, and then also to claims processing for what should be for veterans. All of this is going to illegal immigrants. So instead of a veteran getting a referral to community care, that time, that effort, that money goes to that referral for somebody who has broken our law, illegally entered the country, and illegal immigrants are having their claims addressed. But Tony, the backlog of claims for our veterans for benefits in health care, the backlog is one million claims. So Incredible. you've got a million veterans that cannot get services from the VA, but they are putting money into illegal immigrants. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yes. Uh, we're, we're up against a break, but very quickly, could not the Republicans in the Senate, I know you're not in the majority, but could you just say, look, we want this to go through the process as it should. Could the Republicans and not stick have. together? We have, we have said that repeatedly, and I have talked about that quite a bit, that okay. that H.R. 2 has been there and hasn't been addressed. At VA, they want to talk about everything except money being right. diverted to allow access to health care for illegal immigrants. All right, Senator, always great to see you. Thanks so much Thank for you. staying on top of the issues we care about on Capitol Hill. All right, folks, stick with us. More Washington Watch straight ahead on the other side of the break. Don't go away. You won't want to miss this. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold 
or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us on this Monday. Uh, ran out of time with uh, Marsha Blackburn, but if, uh, if you want to weigh in on this, this is where I need to hear your voice. Text the word BORDER to 67742. That's the word BORDER to 67742. Is this tease up a, 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 a pretty big debate that's going to take place in the House? We want to communicate to the leadership where you stand on this issue of the border. Tell them to stand their ground and fight to secure that southern border. Text the word BORDER to 67742. You'll get a link. Follow it through. Sign the petition. According to the House Select Committee, Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government, federal officials directed U.S. banks to identify the records of Americans who use certain terms in their financial transactions, including MAGA or Trump. Even more concerning, all right, don't miss this, even more concerning, in fact, it's outrageous. The Department of Justice's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network also flagged Americans who bought religious text, including the Bible. Who authorized such financial surveillance? And why did major U.S. banks comply? And what threats does this pose to America's American civil liberties? Joining me now to discuss this, Congressman Blaine Lutkenmeyer, he serves on the House Financial Services Committee, the House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party, which should put him in a good position to understand what's going on here, and the House Small Business Committee. He was a former banker before coming into Congress. He represents the 3rd Congressional District of Missouri. Congressman, uh, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. Good to be with you today. So, as I mentioned, you have experience in your career before Congress, both in the banking industry and as a bank regulator. Have you seen the industry change to become more accommodating to these types of federal requests, or is this something that's always been happening? No, during the Obama administration, they instituted something called Operation Choke Point. And what that was is where the regulators would go in and intimidate bankers by saying, you know, if you don't do this, we'll come in and we'll audit you again next week or we'll, until you do do this. Or we really believe there's some reputational risk by what you're doing here. So they intimidated the banks into cutting off financial services to some folks that the regulators had a personal bias against. 
They weren't doing something illegal. These entities were not illegal entities. They were good customers of the bank, sometimes with them for 25 plus years. But because of the personal bias that the regulators had, they went in and intimidate banks into cutting off financial services for them. I got in the middle of this when I was, because uh, I'm a former banker and I was on the financial service committee. It came under my subcommittee's jurisdiction and we stopped it during the Bond administration. And uh, during the Trump administration, they put a kibosh on this full, full force. However, with the Biden administration, they've come in and done this all over again. And I told individuals whenever we lost or we, we won the election last fall or like the, in 2020 and 2022, that the, the Democrats have lost the ability to legislate now because we, we are the majority in the House. Therefore, instead of you know doing things by like uh, legislation, they're going to do it by regulation, and that's exactly what they're doing: is they're reinterpreting the law, reinterpreting uh, the the rules, and in fact making up new words and new guidance and trying to enforce that all over again to expand their authority. And so when they do this, this is choke point 2.0, a new version of it, but it's still the same thing. They go in and they intimidate banks. Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, is FinCEN for short. It's another jurisdiction of my new subcommittee. Uh, uh, and as a result, uh, we're, we pound on them every day practically for all the nonsense that they're doing and all of the invasion of privacy that they are trying to get into. Um, I don't, their job is to, is to ferret out uh, money laundering, illegal activities. That's fine. But there's a way to do that. It's called a search warrant. You go to court and verify that what you're trying to do is worthy of giving somebody's uh, rights being taken from them because there is a, a good chance that they're doing something illegal. But what the FinCEN is doing right now is just automatically throwing out there with a blanket these words and these these actions that they want done with, I think, without, without minimal, if any jurisdiction whatsoever, no authority whatsoever. If I was a banker today, I would tell them, go get a search warrant. I'll be glad to comply with it. In the meantime, no, I'm not going to do it. So, Congressman Lukemeyer, l- let me ask you this. I'm a former police officer, right? And if I were looking for certain things uh, on somebody driving down the, the street and I was going to stop them, that would be called profiling. If I were looking, it, this looks like to me profiling. If you're looking for someone who bought religious text or is related in some way to, uh, you know, MAGA Republicans or Trump, isn't that not profiling? I think your profiling would be one word for it, but I think it's under, underlying all this is a, is a bias toward conservatives, a bias toward people who disagree with the administration, a bias with anybody who is uh, a supporter of Trump, uh, somebody who they don't have a lot of information on, somebody they think they can intimidate. It's this bias, this this totalitarianism aspect, uh, the socialistic aspect of how they 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 operate today. It's uh, wrong. It's absolutely wrong. I mean, isn't this the type of stuff that you would see as you look at communist China and what they're doing over there? Well, exactly. I mean, communist China spends $300 billion a year. That's with a B to surveil, detain and build new detention camps for their people because they want to control them. They watch every single thing they do. They have a social score that if you don't score high enough, you can't buy a new car. You can't uh, go rent an apartment. You can't change houses. You can't change jobs. This is where they're headed with yeah. this nonsense, this overarching control of individuals and businesses and FinCEN, Financial Crimes Working Network, 
is another wing of their of their way to control people. I, I, I'm glad you brought up the social credit score that the Chinese use because you're absolutely right. This is a precursor to that here in the United States. Can we expect uh, the Republicans to to we're, we're up against a break, but can we expect to see some pushback on this? Expect that we do every day, but I mean, uh, as I said, Vincent comes through my my committee, and we are meeting with them on a lot um, and they've got a new um, new director there and we're going to have her in front of our committee here shortly and she's going to have a lot to answer for for all the things that have been going on I want to get underneath her but when she gets to the committee she better be ready for some answers because a lot of this nonsense is going to stop right well and, and ultimately it comes down to elections because this is as you said this is the uh, executive branch doing as they please uh, congressman thanks so much for joining us today appreciate you uh, filling us in on this Take care. All the best. All right. You as well. All right. Uh, Wow. On the other side of the break, the outrage of the week from the World Health Organization. Yes, again this week. Don't go away. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Monday. Um, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay on that issue of the federal government tracking financial transactions of, of, of conservatives, the religious tax. I mean, this is outrageous. It's a violation of our civil rights. But again, this, it comes down to elections. You've got Congress holding hearings, but the executive branch, as we've seen, they're going to do whatever they want to do. And, and oftentimes they know it's illegal. They know that if they go to court, they'll... It, they'll be in trouble, but it, the court system takes forever. And in the meantime, they'll trample on 
the freedoms of Americans. So we're going to stay on that. Also going to stay on the border. So text the word border to 67742 to sign the petition. All right. I hate to be uh, to give you uh, a lot of outrage today, but I I just want to keep you informed of what's going on. And there's another disturbing event, a development, I should say, from the World Health Organization. Now, this is uh, about it consists of about 8000 health bureaucrats, 8000 within the WHO. And the director general is recommending the organization enter into a partnership with the Pro-Abortion Center for Reproductive Rights. Now, for 30 years, this Center for Reproductive Rights has worked to undermine the laws of sovereign states protecting children in the womb and subvert human rights laws. Now, granting the Center for Reproductive Rights official status within the WHO framework would run counter to the principles of the WHO, not that they really care. But the bottom line is this this puts them at the tip of the spear in terms of advancing the left's global ideological war. And what goes international comes back here. Now, joining me now to discuss this, Travis Weber, Vice President of Policy and Government Affairs here at the Family Research Council. Travis, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. Now, I know, folks, you know, we're always talking about the WHO, but I I will tell you, they are stepping up their activity because, as I said earlier in the program, they literally are at the tip of the spear of the globalization effort that is taking place. Today, we're finalizing a comment uh, on the WHO and their pandemic accord. This is actually something else. Explain what's going on. Yeah, now, you're you're right that they're at the tip of they're they're at the tip of the spear. They seem to be the ones uh, really pushing right now aggressively on uh, with an ideological bent, right, uh, under the guise of health care, even this uh, partnership that's been proposed between the Center for Reproductive Rights. It's supposedly to work on health care, but they're, they're talking about taking the life of innocent children in the womb and they're calling that health care. It's shameful. Uh, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to see any pro-life organizations likely being welcomed into such a partnership with the WHO. And that just exposes the incredible hypocrisy and one-sidedness of this, despite the WHO's own guidelines calling for neutrality and impartiality to protect the integrity of its public health mission as a, a world uh, health uh, entity. And so but um, it's, they it's side- very egregious. They yeah. sidestep that by calling abortion health care. And so it's an essential. In fact, we've seen the WHO say this, that it's essential health care. They demanded that during the pandemic. It's a part of the pandemic accord to make sure that abortion remains accessible uh, when everything else is shut down. But the Center for Reproductive Rights actually goes beyond abortion to advocate for other um, favorites of the left. Yeah. No, Tony, it does. I mean, we're going to see a panoply of ideologically driven positions on on matters which are ultimately matters of worldview. You know, we're going to see the WHO take a view on the family, on sexuality. It's not going to be God's view when partnering with an entity like the Center for Reproductive Rights. Not only that, the Center for Reproductive Rights admits in their own internal strategy document that Congressman Chris Smith entered into public record They admit to trying to subvert the laws of sovereign nations 
for the purpose of a worldwide abortion agenda. So in their own words, they're admitting uh, we want to impose this on the world. So this is part of the strategy. You go to a global entity, the World Health Organization, an arm of the United Nations, and under what they're pursuing under their pandemic accord, they want to have global power. So this is perfect for the Center for Reproductive Rights. They will be in the driver's seat of undermining the laws of so many countries that protect the unborn. That's exactly right. And it, it's unfortunate that, you know, people, uh, the unfortunate thing is because this is presented in the name of healthcare, unless people do the digging, they're not going to see how egregious this is and how it's actually not healthcare. I mean, what we're seeing is the killing of the unborn uh, going on in the name of healthcare. And so that's what, you know, Tony, that's why we at FRC, we're trying to dig, dig into this hole and uncover the, 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 the really, it's this garbage that's, right. that's going on in the name of World Health using our tax dollars. We're seeing uh, ideologies being pushed on the right. people of the world who are... You- expecting their their governments to protect them. You mentioned tax dollars. We are the largest funder of the the World Health Organization. That is the United States. I think it's, uh, I don't know, 700 uh, billion. I'm not sure what the number is, but I know we're the largest funder of uh, the World Health Organization. All right, uh, Travis, out of time for today. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Always great to talk with you. Thank you. Um, folks, we're going to continue to to track the World Health Organization because it is uh, it's a major problem. It's a threat to national sovereignty. It's a threat to your family. All right, I'll probably have some action items on this one tomorrow. Um, but we're do we're working with Congress, we're working to have hearings. We're working to expose this, and hopefully, getting Congress eventually, like they did during the Trump administration, to uh, actually. The, president defunded. We need to get back there. All right, stick around. North Carolina's Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson joins me next. Good boy. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, 
and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. All right, welcome back. Good to have you with us on this uh, Monday. Okay, uh, I was actually during the break looking back uh, at my notes. And uh, the U.S. government is the largest donor to the World Health Organization, supplying the WHO over $700 million in the fiscal year 2022. All right, so I think I said billion. Million, billion, trillion, they're all bounced around here. But it's a big number, Okay. That is where your money is going, and this organization is among the worst. And I'm telling you, keep your eye on it. This is a part of the globalization, and they're quietly working to amass power, and they're using it healthcare, pandemics. You know, they scare people so they can take their freedom and their rights away from them. I know you hear all this stuff about, uh, you know, conspiracy. This is not a conspiracy. Read, you can read the documents for yourselves. Now, they're denying it, but it's there. It's in black and white. All right. Um, also, text the word BORDER to 67742. That debate is heating up. You can sign a petition to the House to tell them to draw a line in the sand and fight on this border issue. It's absolutely essential. It's critical to the future of this country. So sign that petition to the House leadership, urging them to use all available leverage to stop the flow of illegal immigrants, drugs, human trafficking, and more across our nation's southern border. Text BORDER to 67742. On this 51st anniversary of the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade decision, which struck down all pro-life laws in every every state in the country— and imposed abortion on demand until birth. But, of course, that was overturned in Dobbs. Well, the Democrats' messaging machine has gone into overdrive, pushing the party's devotion to abortion in the post-Dobbs, the post-Roe world. Now, in response, Republicans, some, cannot uh, run from this issue uh, fast enough. I mean, some of them are running away from it. We've been talking, but others, others are standing boldly and promoting the need and the responsibility to protect life. Now that the Dobbs decision has returned the issue 
of life to lawmakers, the need for pro-life candidates to go on the offense, articulating a clear position on protecting life has never been greater. Well, join me now to discuss this is North Carolina's Lieutenant Governor, Mark Robinson, who has drawn attention from the legacy media for his outspoken commitment to protecting the life of the unborn. Lieutenant Governor, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to see you. Thank you. Great to be here again. Appreciate it. So you are not running from this issue. Now, the Democrats are running on the abortion issue. And and, and I like I I read an article, uh, something you've been saying on the campaign trail or out there as lieutenant governor uh, is what I've been saying. Look, let the Democrats run on abortion. Let's run on life. Let's protect the unborn. That's what we're about. Absolutely. That's our whole point. And lots of people uh, seem to get confused on that. They think that I've changed my position. I have not changed my position. I've just changed my uh, I've changed what I'm saying because I want you to notice something. Uh, Democrats, the leftists, they want everyone to say the word abortion. They want our children to say it in schools. They want us to say it in our churches. They want politicians to say it on the floor of the House and on the floor of the Senate. They want me to say it as a lieutenant governor. I'm bound and determined to stand up for what I believe in. And what I believe in, I believe in life. And it's time for us to start using that word. This is an issue of life, about protecting life, and then about doing what we can to let elected officials to make sure that once those lives come into the world, that they have life and have it more abundantly, just as Jesus Christ would have us to do. And so working on all those things, those wraparound services that we need to, to make people's lives great. But we really need to start changing the subject. The subject is not abortion. The subject is life. I could not agree more. Could not agree more. Because we are about protecting life, about the unborn life, about the mother, about the family, about society. And that's what we're doing. We're not, you know, and and I think you're absolutely right. They defined the terms of this debate because so many were just silent initially. And then they started, you know, so many Republicans started stuttering. Um, But we need to go out and tell people what we are for. We are for protecting the unborn and preserving a culture of life in this country. That's exactly right. I've made the statement over and over again. I've also made the statement that, you know, when I speak, I want to be that person who's who's there, who's understanding. I want to be the person who's not up on a stage, not up on a platform, telling the young woman why she can't have an abortion. I want to be that person who's coming down, putting my arm around that young woman who may find herself in crisis and telling her why she doesn't have to have an abortion. Why uh, our administration, why are our folks in as elected officials, we're going to fight hard to make sure that you can bring that child into the world and not only bring that child into the world, but have a great life for that child, yourself and your family. And that's what we need to do. We need to start building a culture of life again throughout this nation. And I believe that's what we're going to do here in North Carolina in the coming years. And you've you've stated that you've made it very clear that you want to make your state a destination state for life. Now, I, I had to chuckle a little bit because that's a sharp contrast with the current governor that's there who's embraced that whole agenda of the left. How are people there in North Carolina responding to this message of yours? People love this message. They love it. And, uh, and it's exactly what we need to do. You know, uh, Roe versus Wade went from being passed as law in the nation. Then it went from the Clinton years to being, uh, uh, what was it, safe, legal, rare. Now it's being pushed all the way up to nine months and beyond. Uh, it didn't start overnight, and we can't roll it back overnight. 
what we really have to do as strong Christian, Bible-believing Christian conservatives is we have to work hard to ensure that we are building a complete culture of life throughout our society. We're fighting for every single life in the womb. And then once they get here, we're fighting for changes in our daycare system, our adoption system, uh, all of those services in our healthcare system. We want to show the people of North Carolina that when you come here, that this is a destination state for life. At 20 weeks, at 20 weeks, we were a destination state for abortion and death. We want to be a destination state where people look and say, hey, in North Carolina, those folks know how to take care of people all the way from the womb, all the way to old age. And we want to make that happen here in the state. We're bound and determined to do it. Governor Robinson, I, I want to step back for a moment because a minute ago you said something about you, you want to be there to put your arm around that young woman who is confused and, 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 and alone and uncertain as to what to do. A part of this is education. And, and I mean education not from numbers and statistics and, and, and all of that, but helping people understand the path of life. And, and, and you've told that story. You understand what this means to individuals. And so part of that is being candid. Part of that is telling these stories and helping people not make mistakes that they might regret later. Absolutely. My wife and I, uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, chose uh, the route of abortion years ago. And I cannot tell you the immense pain, the solid pain that we went through for so many years over this issue. It was just this unspoken thing that hurt both of us very deeply. And we have always regretted it, almost to the point where we just couldn't even speak to one another about it because it was so painful and it so brings so much regret. We, we want to tell those stories to young people. And, you know, when the press came out and so-called discovered this, which is a free admission that I had made for myself on social media, when they so-called discovered it, it was amazing to me how God used that to reach so many people who felt the exact same way, to encourage them to keep going and to know uh, the mistakes that they made uh, uh, are shared by so many of us. But you're absolutely right. Educating our young people is going to be crucial. You want to empower a young person, empower that young person to know the greatest thing that they can do for their future is hold control of their body, to hold control of their body and make sure that they're not falling into those traps that popular culture is pushing so many of them into. That's real empowerment. That's real progress. And that's exactly what we need to do in our education. System. Yeah, I, I find it, you know, the president even today saying, you know, and the vice president today, they, they made this a focal point of all their speeches. Both are out today talking about a woman's right to control her body. Well, you know, it also they have a right to control it before they engage in the activity that leads to a pregnancy. Uh, why not challenge them to do that? But I want to go back just for a moment. I don't want to leave this moment where you were talking about the, 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 the pain that you and your wife had because of a decision you made years ago. You've used that to, to counsel and encourage others not to make that same mistake. But I, but I don't want to leave that without first saying, allowing you to speak to this issue. And that is, yes, there's pain, there's guilt. It still bothers you, but there's forgiveness and that's the good news of uh, of Jesus Christ and the gospel message is that we don't have to carry that burden. We don't want others to do it, but we don't have to carry that burden any longer. That's that's exactly right. That's one of, that's one of the, the best things about uh, give me life to Jesus Christ. You know, uh, when 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 Jesus forgives, it's a it's a forgiveness that you can feel down deep in your soul. 
And we do deeply regret the decision we made, but we have no doubt whatsoever that Christ has forgiven us and, and, and helped us to see a better day. But I would definitely warn anyone, any young person out there, do not take this issue lightly. Do not take this issue lightly. It, it haunts, it hurts, and it causes deep emotional uh, distress. What would you say to your colleagues that are in or running for office that are on the, uh, the, the conservative side of the aisle, Republicans, uh, Democrats already showing they're going to talk about this issue. What would you say to Republicans as to what to do and how to do it? Uh, the one number one thing I would tell them to do is to stop listening to the bad reports of CNN, CBS, and ABC, and all those news agencies that are using this issue to try to browbeat Christian Bible-believing conservatives. That's number one. The second thing that I would say is, quite frankly, stop being a coward and stand up for what you say you believe in. It's time for the people of this nation to realize who we are. We are a people that came from a people who declared their independence before the king did. We didn't ask for our independence. We declared it even before we were free. We need to start acting like that again in America and being courageous and standing up for what's right. When you look, you know, from your vantage point, and you've been in public office now for a while, uh, you've been able to travel the country, uh, you've been outspoken on a number of issues, um, presidential election year, what's at stake for America this year? Uh, America's survival. America's survival is at stake. I've told people on on the national front, the three big things that need to be done. Our border needs to be secured. We need to be energy independent, and we re- need to rebuild our military. If uh, the new president, no matter which president it may be, does not do those things, America is going to continue to decline and eventually will not exist anymore in the form that we've known. Uh, everything is at stake in this election. There are those who want to drag this nation kicking and screaming onto the global stage of being uh, a, a socialist state like those uh, in Europe. We cannot, we cannot allow that to happen. We are indeed the last domino standing. We need to make our stand strong, and it starts with us standing up for what's right. Yeah, I, I do believe that is true. I believe that our, our republic hangs in the balance. Uh, I mean, geographically, this landmass will continue to be here, but the freedoms that we've enjoyed for nearly 250 years, I believe, are on the ballot in this election. We have two diametrically opposed worldviews that are pushing forward. And I think you're right. This, the left would want to move us right into the globalization that has taken place in parts of the world that are already socialized. That's what they want. Yep. The globalist social network, socialist network is what they want us to be a part of. America needs to be uh, strong, continue to be strong and independent and be that shining example in the world. There's a reason why people literally will will risk death to reach this nation. It's because this nation is endowed with a freedom that has never been seen in the annals of man before. We need to hold on to that freedom, and we need to fight like heck to make sure she survives. Right. I mean, even, even given our problems, people will. They'll risk it all to come to this country. Final question for you, Governor Robinson. Thanks so much for joining us today. How can our viewers and listeners be praying for you? I know you've been to several of our events. You were at the Pray Vote Stand Summit this year, one of our top-rated speakers. Love, people love to hear from you. How can they be praying for you? Just pray for wisdom and strength. That's all we can ask for is wisdom and strength be able to withstand the fiery darts and arrows of, of the enemies from the other side, and for wisdom, 
to know, uh, to continue to know the right thing to do. And so those are the things that we would ask uh, that folks pray for us. All right. We will we will certainly encourage them to do that. Uh, Governor, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, taking time to join us today. Thank you, sir. It's great to be here. All right. Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson of North Carolina. And, and I will tell you, he, he is absolutely on target. We do not need to shrink back from talking about protecting the unborn. And, and, and we've been having this conversation. I've been having this conversation on Capitol Hill with members of Congress. Look, we, we, have, the, we have the high ground. We're talking about protecting life. In fact, I, I've said, you know, we're going to stop using their language. We're not going to talk about abortion. We're going to talk about protecting the unborn. And so you can do the same thing when you're having conversations with friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, whoever it might be. Talk about protecting the unborn. We need leaders who will protect the unborn and their mothers. That's what we need. And that's what we're talking about. All right, folks, uh, we're coming up to the end of today's program. I would encourage you to vote uh, to pray for uh, Governor Robinson and, and others. Uh, pray that they would have wisdom and they would have courage to do those things which are right. Also, sign our petition on the border. Encourage House leadership to take a strong stand. Text BORDER to 67742. All right, out of time for today. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.